Bible reading now, and um, it's a passage out of Acts, and it's got two significant um, characters in it. So there's Peter and Cornelius. So Karen's going to read the main part, but Bob is going to read the part of Peter, and Ben's going to come out and read the part of Cornelius. So do you want to use this microphone, Karen? Ben and Acts 10. At Caesarea there was a man called Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously in those, to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring back a man called Simon, who is named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and an devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord. Peter replied, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering what about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon was known as Peter. Um, was known as Peter was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day he arrived at Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Hey, get up. Stand, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered. Three days ago... I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, 
God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country, of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptised with water. They have received the Holy Spirit, just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Well done, guys. Thank you. Um, I just want to add my welcome to Bob's and um, say if you're a guest or visitor with us today, it's great that you're here with us. And um, we are just diving into the book of Acts just this morning, so not part of a series or anything, but it's something that I was teaching to my year seven and eight kids um, in the last few weeks of scripture classes. And they really liked this story, so I'd been thinking about it a lot, so I thought, let's have a look at it in church this morning as well. So let's pray that God would be with us as we... um, as we consider what his word says here. Loving Father, we give you great thanks for your word and Lord that it brings life, that it brings into our hearts an understanding of you and of who you are and what you've done for us. And so Lord, we just ask that our hearts this morning would be open to receive your word and Lord, we'd be willing to work with your spirit as you seek to change us and transform us and mould us as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, us Aussies have a number of things that bring us together, don't we? We all love football, don't we? See, we can't even agree on the code. Come to state of origin time, it's, it's um, you know, we don't want to talk to a Queenslander or look at them sideways. We can't always agree whether the rugby league's better than AFL or all these kind of things. We don't really 
bring, come together over many things, or do we? See, we love our countryside, don't we? Well, no, we get angry, or we don't get angry, but we, get, we start to divide ourselves over people that love the city, or love the bush, or love the beach. Who's moved from the city to the beach here and will never move back? Yeah, I know, there's many of you. What about our climate? We love our country and how hot it gets. All those cool, cool winters. See, I was thinking really hard this week over one thing that really cuts across everything in our society that we really love. And this is all I could come up with. Where's the sound? Everybody loves bacon. Oh, there's no mistaking. Our premium quality bacon. Bacon, bacon, bacon. At Macca's we're busy making. Bacon, tasty bacon. All day come in and eat. Bacon, 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 bacon. Everyone's favourite treat, yeah. <laughs> Do you love bacon? Who loves bacon? Everybody loves bacon. They got this ad so right, Maccas did. Everyone seems to love bacon. You see, it's the food that you can be really naughty and indulge in and, oh, I'm just going to eat bacon. But then you can also get away with it in like a trendy paleo diet. It's bacon. You can, you can do it anyway. You can buy it for like five bucks at the deli when it's on special or you can go down to Metcalf's and get like really top-notch bacon and be really fancy. You can have it with eggs. You can have it on pancakes with maple syrup. I, it's even, I couldn't get a good quality image, but you can even buy like bacon flavoured ice cream and that kind of stuff. And then there's just a big juicy bacon sandwich and Luke Barker's wishing he had breakfast. So you can have it for breakfast, but you can eat it at lunch. You can have it just for a snack. You can include it in dinner. We all love bacon. Now, I didn't love bacon for a long time. Tara, my wife, thought it was a bit odd that I didn't like bacon when she first met me. Um, but it was only because I worked in the 24-hour shop in Woodburn and I, every shift I'd get about 10 kilos of it and have to de-rind it all. And it made my skin a bit itchy, actually. That's why I didn't like it. But now I really love... The way I love to have bacon is in a BLT. And the other way that I like to have bacon is in a BLT with avocado. And the third way I really like to have bacon is in a BLT with avocado and chicken. Bacon is the thing that everybody loves. Now, before you all just tune out and start to think about what you're going to have for lunch, the reason I'm talking about this is because I think it's a useful parallel for today's passage. See, bacon seems to be the one food that is for everyone. Even the vegetarians like it. They turn their vegetarian, pro, vegetarian protein into not bacon. Now, it's not the perfect analogy, but we're going to see that like bacon seems to be the food for everyone. What really is the thing that is for everyone is the message of the gospel. It's the thing that is for everyone. The gospel of Jesus is the message for everyone. We're in the book of Acts. And the book of Acts follows on, in case you didn't know, it's the second book written by Luke, who also gave us an account of Jesus' life in the Gospel of Luke. And in the story of Acts, telling us what happened with the early Christians, this is a big turning point. 
even this event takes place just a little while after Jesus was with his disciples. But the big turning point here is that the message is going for the first time just beyond the Jewish people, beyond the nation of Israel. This part of Acts is a massive fulfillment of a passage of a verse that you see at the start of Acts from Acts chapter 1 where it says uh, where Jesus says to his apostles but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth see for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth it's going to require it moving just beyond the one group of people who dominate the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. See, it's for all people. And that's the ultimate fulfillment of that promise that was made to Abraham right back at the beginning that formed the nation of the Jews, of the, of the Israelites. See, the promise that formed this group of people was that they would exist as a group of people so that all nations would be blessed through them. They always existed for the rest of the world. In bringing the gospel, Jesus has brought that blessing to fulfillment. Now, we can be tempted at this point to think, well, so what? We're not Jews. And we might also think this isn't news to us. We've always approached the message this way. In fact, it can sometimes feel like we need to learn this part of the Bible backwards as non-Jewish people thousands of years after. We understand this message in a back-to-front way because our experience means that we're coming from the end of the story, not the front. And even though that's true, I think there's heaps of parallels that we need to learn from this passage that we need to draw out here. See, our church here has an average of about 90 people here every week. And over a given month, about 130 different people. And, you know, some of us are here because of our own church's efforts to reach out with the message of the gospel. It might be your story that you heard the gospel here, the message of Jesus here, and you've grown as a believer here. That might be you. But... Heaps of us here, in fact, most of us, have joined this church already as Christians. Our church attracts people because it ticks lots of boxes. We're a church that teaches the Bible. We sing contemporary songs. We look after all age groups as best we can. And we're generally a pretty friendly bunch. You have might have joined us here. And we've enjoyed the growth we've experienced through that. The risk with that, though, and I'm not saying this is happening, but we need to be aware of this. The risk is that we can create a culture that, as a church, we're all very Christianized. We kind of like come with that experience and understanding already, and we can kind of just meet here and we know what we're doing. We know what's going on. We know how to sing the songs and pray the prayers and sit in the Bible studies. And the risk is that we can soon forget how radical a message it is that we believe in. And from this passage, what we see is radical about this message is it's a message of inclusion. 
The message that comes from the God who went out into the world to introduce us to himself is that he invites people from all nations to be part of his family. See, we risk being like Peter is at the beginning of this chapter where we're so familiar in our culture that he would have never been prepared to go into the home of a non-Jew who, frankly, is ripe for the picking, ripe to hear the message of the gospel. So listen up. Listen in this passage to how God prepares people for the good news how it's given and received, and how it's really good news for everybody. And so at the start of the passage, we meet this guy, Cornelius. We've never heard about him in the Bible before this point, but the scene is set in this city called Caesarea. This is a place, is a part of Judea, so that was part of the promise. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea. So this is how far we've got. But Judea has got the highest concentration of Gentile people in the whole area. And a Gentile, in case you're not sure, is someone who's not Jewish, a non-Jew. Cornelius seems to be someone of relative importance. He's a centurion, which I think means he leads 100 soldiers in the army, in the Roman army. And even though he's a Roman, we learn that Through his time in Caesarea, he's become a God-fearer. This basically amounts to someone who's participated in Jewish religion without really subscribing to it. And by subscribing to it, basically means he's he's not being circumcised. He would have gone to synagogue to pray, but he hadn't been a fully full Jewish convert. And so, what happens? This angel comes to him and tells him to send for Peter. And if you consider what Luke tells us about Cornelius, he seems pretty obedient. He doesn't question it. He sends his men out. And it's obvious that he's open to God. And really, this is a guy on a journey to discovering who God is. Meanwhile, Peter needs a massive lesson, needs massive preparation to be prepared for what God has set in train here. See, we're going to see that Peter, in his usual fashion, isn't quite as open or obedient as this guy Cornelius. And also, his vision just isn't anywhere near as straightforward as Cornelius's. See, earlier I posed the question, who loves bacon? Well, Peter would have honestly answered, I don't know. I've never tried it. I'm not allowed to have it. You see, as a Jew, Peter would have never eaten pig. There would have been a whole bunch of these unclean animals that come up in the Old Testament that he just wouldn't have ever been a part of, part of his religion. And it's these food laws that God uses in this vision to teach Peter the bigger truth that we see here that good news is good news for everybody. And so the vision goes on. We heard it read. Peter's hungry. It's lunchtime. He's up on the roof spending some time praying while he waits. But, pretty exciting, maybe he's not going to have to wait that long because in a vision, Jesus has just dropped down a massive mixed grill of all the tastiest and juiciest looking meats and tells Peter, hey Peter, stoke up the barbecue, mate, we're having lunch. But what's the problem? 
Well, in the Jewish law, it says there's certain foods that are just unclean. And Peter, as a Jew, has never broken this law. You see, what Peter has never understood is that these certain, certain aspects of the law were not about what was morally wrong and right. I'll say that bit again. Peter has never understood that certain aspects of the law are not about what is morally wrong and right. Well, then what are they? Well, they're symbolic. They were there to reinforce what it meant to be set apart as the nation of Israel. Now, Peter, given how close he was to Jesus, he should have already learnt this lesson. He should have remembered what Jesus had taught when he was teaching in person. In Mark 7, Jesus said this, Are you so dull? He asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Now, I don't know what Peter was doing while Jesus was saying this. Maybe he was thinking about what he was going to have for lunch. But he's quickly forgotten it. And so he argues back to Jesus, Surely not, Lord. Even as a witness to Jesus' death, his resurrection, his having received the Spirit, Peter is still after all this time, slow to trust Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe that gives you a bit of reassurance. Maybe for you, you can be slow to trust Jesus. Maybe you can recognize that about yourself. Well, we need to trust Jesus. Of course we do. We need to surrender every part of our life to him. I think Peter shows us here that God will be patient with us. And God is patient with us because he's patient with Peter. Look at what else happens here. It actually happens three times for Peter. Three times in this vision, Jesus has to say, kill and eat Peter. Kill and eat Peter. And three times, he says, surely not, Lord. Surely not, Lord. It's very familiar territory if you know anything about Peter. So he's already done it. When Jesus was arrested, he denied him three times. Peter is slow to learn. But you see, this encounter is not really about testing whether Peter has learned how to, you know, be a good student of the Bible and reconcile his Jewish law with the gospel and that kind of stuff. That's not the question here. Rather, in this vision, Jesus is teaching Peter the bigger principle that he needs to learn to prepare him for the much bigger challenge that he's going to face. So I just want to step off at this point and show you and remind you of how gracious God is that he acts in this way. See, God knows that Peter is not ready to just walk up to Cornelius, knock on his door, go and sit down at his table with him and say, Hey, Cornelius... Can I tell you about Jesus? But that's what God needs him to do. See, only God knows what he has in store for each of us to do. What challenges of faith we're going to have to confront. 
people that he's got for us to share the gospel with. People who God will help through your care and service. And really, it's a good thing probably that we don't know about them yet because we'd probably chicken out or we'd probably have resistance like Peter did. See, but I believe on reflection that God prepares us for those things all the time. Even now, he's preparing us in the small things like he does here with Peter. So what is it that Peter needed to learn? Well, Cornelius was coming to invite him to his house and in the same way that eating unclean food was forbidden in the Jewish law, going into the home of an unclean Gentile was also this massive no-no. You just didn't do it. But even more than that, Peter probably hasn't realised yet that the gospel message isn't just for the Jews. Sure, Jesus was the Messiah promised to the Jewish people, but it was time for Peter to learn that Jesus was the saviour that had come to the whole world. Now really, Cornelius is a pretty soft target for God to choose to teach this to Peter. Sure, he's a Gentile, but he's pretty much been living like a Jew. He's been generous, it says. He's been praying. But again, I just reckon this shows us how gracious God is in what he calls us to do. Taking those little steps to following him. Cornelius is so ripe to hear this message. When he eventually hears the gospel, right at the end of the reading, he's, he's pretty much already accepted it by the time Peter's finished saying it. You see, the point of this part of the story is to show that there are no barriers to the gospel apart from the ones that are in our own hearts. Because God has prepared Peter well, we see Peter goes with the men straight into Cornelius' house. In verse 28 and 29, Peter shows that he's figured it out. He said to them, You are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when you sent for me, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you have sent for me? Um, in my time of, of working as a scripture teacher and working in churches, I've actually preached in lots of different churches. And I reckon the hardest thing about preparing for a congregation you don't know and haven't met is that you don't know them and you haven't met them. It's hard to know what they're already going to understand, what they might expect out of you, how long to talk for, how, you know, what humour is going to work and what doesn't. But not for Peter. See, God's prepared him so well for what comes next. Listen to how he opens up his sermon here. I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. God shows no favoritism. There is nothing to hold someone back from fearing him and doing what is right. Not their nationality, not their cultural heritage, nothing. Favoritism is nasty. Now, if you've been, if you've been the favourite somewhere, 
maybe you don't think it's that nasty, but if you've noticed someone be a favourite, it is nasty. Someone that always gets the good shifts at your workplace. Not getting picked on the sporting team. In fact, in 2014, I've played rugby for eight years. In 2014, I played the best season I'd ever played. I got this opportunity to play up a grade one, one cold morning in Gyra in the, in the rain. It was awful, but for some reason, it all clicked for me and I played this awesome game and I kept on getting picked, starting team for this division for the rest of the year until we got to the last round of the season. And all of a sudden, everyone's injuries, miracle, they all cleared up. I, I had a family thing on and we were playing this absolute dead rubber and I'm like, oh, can I just have the week off? Next week, dropped, dropped down to the bottom grade and didn't even get to sit on the bench for the other grade. Who They went on and lost anyway, which if they had me, they don't know how great the victory would have tasted. But the point is, favouritism is, it's horrible, it's yuck. And we've got to learn that God has never, ever shown favouritism. Even throughout the history of the Old Testament, the Jewish people, they're not receiving God's favouritism. See, he set them apart to be a blessing to all the nations, to be a light to them. If we understand this, we will be a church that reaches out to all the types in our community. See, our community is ever-changing, more and more diverse. Your neighbours and your kids' friends, they're a mixed bag of every type of person. But they all need to know Jesus. Jesus died for them. They can accept the gospel into their life. See, as Peter goes on to explain the message of the gospel, he gently shows that Jesus did come to his people, the Jews, and that they are the witnesses. But he does it in a really inclusive way. He explains that Jesus died and that he was risen and he appeared to them and sent them out. Peter goes at length to say that he was part of the group chosen to take the message out, to be the witnesses. But by no means is the message just for them. So what about you? Maybe you struggle as a Christian thinking, hey, I'm the one from the non-Christian family. I don't really fit the Christian mould. You might be tempted to think, oh, I'm, I don't really know the Bible that well. You might have had a long time away from the church. You might feel like you don't have that much to offer or that you're not as Christian as the person sitting next to you. And you might hold yourself back from really diving in. Good news is good news for everybody. Jesus died for you. Verse 43 says, All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That's it. It's merited by his grace alone. Now I've resisted talking about this um, from the front of church over the last couple of weeks but a few Saturdays ago my rugby team won our grand final okay, it could have been glory in 2014 but it happened this year for us the Evans River Killer Whales now I started the game but I went onto the bench about 
20 minutes into the game and then got back on for the last 15 minutes or so. But in that context, I was playing alongside guys who'd formed the club and played nearly every season for the last 15 years, put heart and soul into this. I was playing along the other guys that scored the tries and took the hit-ups and I didn't do any of that. I didn't score any points. I didn't kick any goals. But at the end of that game, I was presented with the exact same trophy that everyone else in the team got. See, a similar thing happens at the end of our passage here as Cornelius and all his household, what do they receive? They receive the same Holy Spirit that the apostles received at Pentecost. Gentiles now in the game. Even after it would seem the final whistle had blown, they're receiving God's Spirit. They're being baptised as a sign that they're included in what God has done through Jesus. They're in. They're part of it. The good news is good news for everyone. God here shows us that we need never limit our minds, in our minds or in what we do, as to who can be Christian. There are no limits. And that's good news because that includes you. And it includes me. See, we can't let ourselves think that only sinful people need to worry about forgiveness because we are sinful people. But on the other hand, we can't let ourselves think that we shouldn't seek to reach the unclean or unclean by our community standard because we've got some kind of look to keep here. See, God's heart is for the lost. Can you say it with me? The good news is good news for... I didn't hear that. Good news is good news for everyone. And if we really believe it, then we'll see it. You will see people changed and transformed as they meet Jesus for themselves. God is constantly preparing us to meet the needs of our community with the gospel. Will we learn and remember today that That gospel is for everyone. Let's pray that we would not do anything else. Loving Father, I thank you for this message and I thank you for the challenge that it brings, but also for the clarity. Lord, thank you for the way that you prepared Peter, the way that you did that graciously, and thank you that you do the same with us. Lord, when we're slow to learn or hard of heart, that you chip away at us. And so, Lord, I just pray now that you would remove anything in each of us that stops us believing and stops us from seeking to reach out with this message. Lord, continue to transform us until we're willing to go where you have for us to go to share this message of Jesus. Lord, I pray that today we will remember and know deep in our hearts that this is a message that everyone needs to hear. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.